Can you turn me down a little bit in my ears? Yes, of course. Very loud. Yep. Check, 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 check. Much better. Turn me down. Can you hear them? I can I can hear them just fine. If you do need to turn a song into anything Turn me down. Turn me down. Down, 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 down. We'll sound like a credence. Or not credence, but the Oak Ridge voice. Down, down. Who was that? Was that REO Speedwagon? No. I think that was Told You Before. That's when I get off the uh, No, I think it's R- uh, ELO. Electric Light Orchestra. Was that Electric Light? Electric Light Orchestra. Ah, then you would know. Is that it? Yeah. Nice. Name uh, that too. They're great. They're one of the most no. iconic classic. Such a unique no. sound. Oh, yeah. Iconic, though? Well, yeah. Unique, yeah. They, they I, To me, I thought they were great. They had a lot of hits. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. With me as usual, Mike Davis, my co-host, Matthew Dillner, Leavon, everybody's in the house. we got Dale Jarrett on the show, Red Farmer, Hall of Fame inductee, is going to come on here and talk to us. He's still racing. We're going to ask him why. It's going to be awesome to hear from Red. And uh, we got a lot more in this show too, a lot going on in the, in the sport. So let's get started. The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. I, I got a lot of friends, you know. I, just, I don't really have no problems. You've pretty much grown up in the sport. Do you like racing? And would, would you would you like to have a career in racing? And if so, what would you like to do, Dale? Well, I, I, you know, I want to be a race car driver someday. It's a great sport. I love it to death, you know. Three wide in the start finish line past Glenn Allen. Dale Earnhardt Jr. into turn one with the lead. That's just being here is, you know, Exciting. What a day in history. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Keeps the bright red nose of the Budweiser machine glued right to the white line on the bottom of the racetrack. He's behind Ken Schrader and Michael Waltrip, but nobody really to contend with on his way to the checker. Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the bottom of the racetrack. At the tender age of 25, Dale Earnhardt Jr. will lay claim to his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory at the Texas Motor Speedway. Across the line, he comes. Right with you, you're clear. Checker flag, you win. Jr. has won the Daytona 500 for the second time in his- Today, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, the Sports Hall of Fame grows by three. Here comes. And it's now time to reveal the third and final member of the 2021 class. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be inducted, Steve. Yay! <laughs> oh! <laughs> yes! Yes? Yes! 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 He's in! He's in! (laughs) Dale Earnhardt Jr. is in the Hall of Fame! (laughs) Um. (laughs) Dude, you're going into the hall! The hall! Oh my gosh. Amy's crying. Isla's just wanting more race cars. (laughs) And and that's that that is the proper reaction. It's you know it's all I've ever known. Racing, racing. You're so hard on yourself, Mike. I can see you over there, <laughs> cringing at all the noises. Dude, you're going into the hall. The hall. The Giants won <laughs> the pennant. I just hit puberty. Can you replay the? <laughs> what is it? Oh. 
Yes! 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 <laughs> the Giants win the pennant! The Giants They're win the, the first pennant. noise that Mike's made. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why at first I was confused. I'm like, did you make it in? I was like, did he? <laughs> I won't let you know! <laughs> I will drown out the sound! <laughs> Sound like Kermit the Frog celebrating. Like, I don't know. Hey, you know, you don't plan for that stuff. <laughs> it's just emotion. Well, well, you just go remove everyone's uh, natural reaction and then just magnify it? Is that is that yeah. the plan here? Okay, that was got it. It, it, got was it. Pretty so embarrassing. It is. This is really <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> we sounded great as a group. You didn't need to single us out. You. It was really cool because when I was listening to like Mike's reaction, when you listen to it isolated or you listen to Leah's, you know, oh. you, you really actually see the individual excitement people oh. have for you. And let's I thought let's it was do really that. Neat. Let's do that. That's, you know. Let's do it right now. Well, that's what we did. Let's play their tracks individually. <laughs> I, I, I think we got it. We're good. We're good. We're good. People want to hear it, man. <laughs> let's do it. All right. We're going to play Mike's. <laughs> play Mike's track individually. Did you isolate yours? We, we, I kind of isolated him in that open. Oh, yeah. Didn't give it the treatment that you gave me, though. No, I mean, <laughs> right. you were like the, you got you were like the Bob Wolf, yeah, yeah. you know, Amici scores, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> if I'm going to embarrass myself, do it on a day like that, right? Yeah. yeah God, it feels like a month ago. It does? Yeah. A lot's happened since then, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah you know, and we got a long time until the in- ceremony. I don't even know when it is. I guess January. It's usually in January, but who knows these days? <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm assuming, if everything goes as according to plan, uh, that there will be a ceremony, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope so. There better be. Right. So It's the party we're planning on. <laughs> for sure. And if it is, it's a, it's a ways off. Um, so, and there's a lot of, I guess, you know, I re- I'm recalling when uh, in the past when other in, uh, you know, classes would get inducted, you would see them from this point till the ceremony in January doing little things, you know, doing media and being here and there, going to races and showing up and, and sort of going on this little mini tour, I guess. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I, my, my phone line is open and uh, my email is checked. And so I'm kind of <laughs> waiting on what's next, you know. What, what's, what's next? I'm what's, sure it's coming. Right. Imagine yourself. Getting inducted into anything like that and uh, sitting idle and waiting on what happens next. I so. wonder if Red. I wonder if we are Red Farmer's first Hall of Fame obligation. I highly doubt it, but he, <laughs> we are one, yeah. right? And so, uh, you know, I'm waiting on somebody to holler at me to come on their podcast. Yeah. You know, it's any, any day now. Nobody ever thinks <laughs> of Dale Junior. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, Anyway, it does seem like a, a while ago, but it was just a week ago as we taped this right now, yeah. and still good memories. Yeah, I had a lot of text messages, a lot of uh, uh, great comments from friends, personally, people uh, reaching out on social media and so forth. Just so much good support. Uh, it made me feel great. That's one of the cool things about winning a race or anything good like that happening to somebody is the 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 reaction and support you get from your friends and people that are part of your life that various stages i mean i'm getting emails and and calls from people that uh were you know part of the dei days or even beyond that you know that i haven't heard from or talked to and some really um really um personal you know Mm. messages that are that are 
that they took real good time to write. Um, I heard one, and can you, uh, you don't have to, you know, go here. I mean, I know it's sort of private information, but I heard a rumor. Did Charles Barkley reach out to you? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Charles has actually been texting me a little bit um, through the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. I imagine. Oh, yeah. I bet that's good. Is is today, uh, we got a segment called Read Charles Barkley's Text Messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a, a hit on uh, ESPN Scott Van Pelt's show, mm-hmm. and it, it came on, I think, 1 o'clock in the morning, and he texts me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's uh, a good guy, and, and he always is. been very supportive. And man, I that was I was I remember when we had that. You set that thing up in Vegas. What was it? Yeah, the oh, appreciation yeah. event that sure. after your retirement year. Him coming to that. That was fun. Meant the world to me. And he was hammered. Well, he was having fun. He was <laughs> it, in Vegas. He was in Vegas. I would say hammered was was not really a good. Oh, not not a, not a good way to introduce a, this part. Yeah, feeling it, it, good. The meaningful part of it uh, does no, not need to. I wouldn't say he was hammered. Oh, he was sloshed. Are you kidding? Right. Dude, we had to help him up the stairs. <laughs> oh, no. That's not true. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Mike, it's there not his fault. Stairs. It's not his fault. Listen. Uh, this is not. I, well, I saw him even after the show. He was fine. Okay. Uh, You're going to throw him we, under the we, bus like this? We remember that differently. Here's the thing, though. We were about an hour longer than what we were supposed to be. So he had been backstage for an hour longer than he was supposed to be. Yeah. And by the time we finally got to it, I mean, he was feeling good. You're right. He maybe was having fun. He was having fun. And yeah. he was being Charles, maybe. Who knows? I mean, yeah. in Vegas, I mean, what are you going to do? Sit there and drink, you know, lemon waters? Mm. I mean, come on now. But the fact is, is he was fantastic, is what he was uh, when he came up there. And he, he's given Dell Jr. broadcast advice live there in, the, uh, in that little, what was that thing? Co- the Cosmopolitan or something Sorry. theater? I don't know what it was. And, uh, but Charles, that was a lot. That was a lot of fun, and he flew there from Atlanta or wherever just to be there for that event. Yeah, but he he also enjoys Vegas gambling, and Dale Jarrett was there. They're pals. They gamble oh, quite cool. a bit together. They gamble. Yeah, yeah. So, they're in another level. <laughs> uh, what was the other thing? Oh, I, I remember when you and I went to an NBA Finals game in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland versus Golden State, mm-hmm. and we showed up. And that TNT crew, which, which is, you know, Charles and Shaq, uh, yeah. you know, we were walking in and, man, as soon as Charles saw Dale Jr., he sprung up, came over, just so, so friendly. Um, and uh, so he's just a big supporter of Dale. And anyways, when I heard that he had texted Dale uh, after the Hall of Fame yeah. thing, I just, I thought that was neat. Yeah, I got a, I got a few other, other uh, text messages that meant a lot to me. Any and- surprise you? No. Like that, you're like, oh wow, that's kind of cool. Wait, how did he get my number? Nope. <laughs> I got a few text messages from some numbers that weren't saved in my phone, and then they'll not say who they are. Right. Mm. <laughs> I, I actually got the same thing, and you don't ever know what is the protocol there. Yeah. Do you? What is the protocol? I don't know. Do you New ask who, who is this? this? I mean, that feels like <laughs> yes. such a jerk move. That's it. That's what. No, you do. no, no. I you say kidding. you say this. I don't have this number saved. Who is this? And yeah, <laughs> just yeah. Sorry, I don't have the number saved. Can the funny thing about, you know, we the funny thing about social media, particularly Twitter, texting, and all of those things, is that we have said it for years. You can't read tone and text, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we don't, still don't apply it to our, you know what I mean? Like we still get, 
but still take things maybe the wrong way or read things out of context or read tone oh. try to read tone in our text messages oh. i do it with my sister my wife me you, oh, my you, God. oh yeah we remember when we started putting um our mood at the top of our emails just so we knew yes uh, yeah no way <laughs> no i literally yes. would send an it's email really to helpful. dale jr yeah. and i would I like put that. i would at the top of the email i put mood happy jovial yeah <laughs> jovial <laughs> Just so he knew, I'm, gonna I'm happy. We never had to do. We never got to the point where we were doing that with our text messages. But in some, well, some that's ca- in some cases, it would have been helpful and well, saved us yeah. a lot of trouble. Are you listening to Apple and iPhone? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Can that's you do why. That, please? No, that's why emojis exist. That's exactly right. So I will text with Kelly. Uh, you know, and, and look, <laughs> I'm sensitive. We're not overly sensitive. If you if this hasn't happened to you, it will. Um, <laughs> But we'll be texting back and forth, and we'll get off on the wrong. We'll take we'll take something the wrong way, or somehow take something out of context, and we'll start down this path of of de- debating or arguing over something, and and it'll come down to the end where she'll she said she said it one time. She goes, "If you'd used the right emojis, this would have never happened." <laughs> <laughs> right. I right. she said she she she's like, "Hey, look at my text messages. See the emojis? Those are helpful. Try to use them." <laughs> Like, okay, that's a lot of pressure. So, not really. It so works. now, when I text Kelly, I try to accommodate uh, her with some emojis to let her know that I'm laughing or or whatever. You know, that's what they're for, guys. That's what they're for. That's right. I can't tell you. I mean, there was a there was a part of my relationship with Amy years ago where I we it was just better to call her. It was uh, instead of texting, we were def we couldn't. Send a couple texts without getting off on the going, right, on the wrong, going the wrong direction. Right, right, right. It just was. It was just automatic. You're describing text. That's not exclusive to you and Amy. Yeah. That's just about everybody. That's why. Listen, not a fan of text messaging. If you're trying to convey tone or something important, it's better to pick up the phone. Yeah. I don't think there's an emoji out there that can uh, make a husband and wife not get off on the wrong uh, on, on the wrong rabbit hole. Uh, what? Just, Oh God! Are oh, you kidding? Oh man, the thumbs up! Oh stop! The thumbs up! Smiley face! Smiley laughing! Goofy guy. smiley! Crying laughing! Like the, the crying laughing! Even yeah. the sideways crying laughing. There are. I reserve that sideways Mike one for is, something Mike real is, funny though. Mike just needs to give emojis a chance. He hates emojis. I, I hate. He hates. Emojis. I hate emojis. But I'm saying, but who who volunteered this into the conversation? Who said emojis exist because of tone? Right? Because they're emoticons, emotion. Right? Is that what emoticons are? Oh, here we go. Who go ahead. Go, take off, Matthew. Emoticons. Let's hear this. Emotion. I'm curious. It's an icon for emotion. <laughs> give us the history. Come on. Give I us that. Well, like in 1983, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a donkey. <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Just agree. Don- <laughs> I'll send you a donkey emoji. Right. Well. <laughs> here he is. Hey, Morning. Good. good to see you, buddy. Hey, there he is. All right, just as promised on the show, Dale Jarrett, what's happening, buddy? Oh, doing great, guys. Uh, appreciate you having me on, and uh, a lot's been happening yeah, uh, in, in my world and and in the world in general. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well, and uh, glad to uh, be talking to you. So, um, I guess last week you told us all that you had COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, I got some questions for you. You mind? <laughs> you mind answering them for me? Glad to. Well, so when you when you find out that you have this, how uh, how do you decide to share that with the world? You know that that was a question that I had, um, and was it something that I you want to put out there? 
And there's a couple of different ways of looking at it as I thought this. Um, you know, it, it's not like that there's not millions of people that don't have this. It's, it's something that I decided that if I share this and show that, you know, you see all of the terrible things that are going on and things that, that people are going through. Uh, but there is that huge percentage of people that contract this virus and don't have, uh, first off, many symptoms uh, and don't have many problems. And, you know, I've had the flu that is much worse than this. Matter of fact, the only thing that I had, the only symptom uh, that made me talk to my doctor was a slight cough. And it never was bad. I just I have allergies and I'm allergic to grass. And pretty much every day I was either throwing a baseball uh, to my son, Zach, uh, up at Hickory High School, or I was on the golf course playing golf. And so in grass. And so I just took this that that my allergies had kicked up a little bit. And after it persisted a little bit, uh, he wanted to check my lungs and things. So we did that. And then he said, look, let's just uh, since you're here, let's just do this test. So then the fact is that we NBC uh, sports had put it out that, hey, we're going to have this Hall of Fame show. Um, we're going to have Krista, Kyle, and DJ back in the uh, the studio for the first time. Um, so it was kind of out there. So how do we tell, why do we say then whenever I come on the show and I'm not there in the studio? And then they, it, also in talking, it was an opportunity to, to let other people know that, hey, you can have this and get through it. Mm. All right, so... Um for the uh, for the first, I guess I'm roughly three months of, of the virus and 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 all the things going on with that in the country, I never knew anyone that had it. Never knew a person. Uh, and and in the last probably two or three weeks, I've learned of many people uh, just recently in my circle that have have got this. So, um, t- what? All right. So, what would you tell me? What would you tell me or what would you tell your son about this going forward? What, what would, what is it changed the way you kind of view it? Uh, or, or what is any new advice that you might have for somebody uh, that's trying not to, to get this virus? Yeah. The, the new advice is kind of the old advice. And, and even though, you know, it, you know, washing your hands, being as careful as you can, wearing a mask. And, you know, when I, where I can kind of trace it back to, contracting this was was at a grocery store and you know i had my mask on uh, many others didn't and it was very crowded and i told myself i should leave but if i, I, I stay out of crowds you know, uh, you know the the main way that you get this uh by what i've been told and and looking at all this and of course you know being quarantined for 14 days uh which just ended um i have listened and and watched uh, a lot of the people that know much more about this, you know, just do as much as you possibly can, but there are no guarantees. But the the main way you're going to get this is is being around people uh, and and it's in the air. And so um, uh, just, you know, stay as safe as you can go, you know, go to the grocery store. And I had been going early in the morning when there were very few people there. And I just happened to stop by this particular afternoon and it was crowded uh, not many people wearing masks. So ju- just you know, be smart about this. Um, unfortunately, my belief is, is that, you know, there's going to be a lot more uh, people that, that are going to get this. And and not that you're doing anything wrong. 
in, in doing that. You know, I, I had continued to play golf, but we, you know, were socially distanced. We stayed away from each other. We, you don't touch the flag sticks. There's no rakes in the sand traps. So just be smart about what you're doing. And, and I think you can stay away from it. Uh, but I, it's, it's going to be so hard uh, to do that because, you know, we as people, we're, we naturally, you know, want to interact with others and our friends and do things. And, uh, you know, just try to put yourself in the safest spots uh, going forward with this. And that's what I've told my kids, uh, uh, all of them, because, you know, I was around them. And I can tell you this 100% that, again, I had a very mild case of this and I was very fortunate. But the worst, worst feeling in the world was the thought that I might have possibly infected my son, my daughter. Um, I had even right before the symptoms started, I had been out to my parents. And oh. to think that, that that was a possibility that, that they could get this from me. I, you know, I sat around for a week in really not a good place because uh, just the, the thought of that possibly happening uh, was, was in, on my mind. And then when we got past that period of time that they could have, any of them could have gotten it from me, then I, you know, I started to feel better about it. Uh, but that's the worst feeling of, about the whole thing. DJ, you just have brought up so many things that I would love to ask you about. One was the psychological uh, aspect of it, which you just alluded to. Did I hear you also say, though, that you're out of quarantine now? So are you, are you on the back end of this? Are you? Yep. All right, so no. you, you don't have COVID anymore. Is that correct? No. No, no. I've gone through from the time that I was tested. Uh, I, I Once I even got tested, I, I did not go anywhere else. Um, uh, I, I stayed at home. I've been at home for, for actually 15 days, uh, and they require you to be there or ask you to be there for 14 days from the time that your test started. My test came in uh, a couple of days, or the positive result came a couple of days after. But since I had uh, started the quarantine from the time that I, I took the test, then it was uh, 14 days from that point. So, yes, I'm totally on the backside of this. Uh, I have no symptoms uh, whatsoever now. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I still am uh, being very careful about, you know, where I go and what I do at this point in time. Was the cough the extent of your symptoms or did you actually end up having more? Well, you know, they, they someone asked me, they said, you know, you didn't have any. I, I probably at, at one point, just feeling a little run down. But as I said, I'd been doing so much. I was outside in the heat and I just felt a little bit run down. Yeah. So I slept a little bit more, but that was only for like two days. Um, but the cough was the one persistent thing. And it never was the thing that I didn't think because all you heard was this is a dry cough that's associated with that. And mine wasn't that. That's why I associated it with my allergies uh, more than anything else. They said, well, did you have body aches and things like you get with the flu? I said, hey, 63 years old, uh, I've crashed a lot. My body hurts every single day when I wake up. So how was I supposed to differentiate between what that might have been and, and what I feel every single day? <laughs> My goodness. I know. It's hard to argue with that, though, right? It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> well, um, just recently, you know, you, you talked about it. We uh, had the Hall of Fame announcement on uh on nbcsn uh last week um so what what is uh what's it like what so now that the announcements happened uh the the ceremonies uh, possibly in january if everything goes well um what happens between now and then oh gosh well first of all let me say uh i, I talked to you that day uh but congratulations man this is so well deserved for you and for your family 
Uh, I'm just so happy for you, and especially that you got in uh, on that first time on the ballot. Uh, just tremendous. But for, for everyone involved. But I, I'm going to speak to you about it. You know, the, you, you have the buildup uh, of the fact that, hey, I, I'm, I'm on the ballot, and, and, you know, this could possibly happen. And so that's exciting when you start thinking about that and those possibilities. But you kind of you kind of put it on the back burner. I don't know how you did, but I, I did just kind of put it aside because I really wasn't expecting to get in that first time. Uh, but then when that day comes and, and you hear your name announced, I, I know that you were thrilled. I saw your reaction stuff. Uh, you know, it's a it's not a relief. It's a feeling of accomplishment. You know, after you get past that first part that, hey, if people have taken notice as to what I do. And the wonderful thing about you know being inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame is people that you were around and have been around your entire life. Those are the people that voted you in. And so that that's what makes it even more special to me. Uh, the, the other thing that we have in common is that our dads were already inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Your dad in that that first class, my dad was in the second class. And, you know, that's just such a huge thrill to think that as we try to please our parents and for all the hard work and efforts that they put forth, that, that we're able to give them a little something back. And I know in your case, unfortunately, your, your dad isn't here anymore, but he's looking down and he's smiling on that, that, that you were able to accomplish all this. But I'm going to get right to the ceremony part. So you do a lot of stuff leading up to it, and that's fun and exciting. You've been doing those kind of things all your life. And then you'll go to rehearsal. Uh, and you've got this big, huge room and you'll read your speech, you'll rehearse and, you know, you'll uh, you'll either do it you know, with the teleprompter or without it. Uh, I was using it. But you get up there and you practice, you run through it a couple of times. And, you know, that's all it's all good. And then that room fills up on that <laughs> night and you have this and you start looking at these banners down both sides. Uh, of the people that have gone into the Hall of Fame before you. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you, you've been doing TV, you've been doing interviews and, and talking, uh, you know, pretty much all your life in these type situations. But it, it takes on a whole new meaning. And, and there's a feeling that comes over you because you look out in that crowd and, and you see the people that mattered the most to you in your life. Yeah. And you say, can I, can I do this? Right. And if you can do it without getting choked up, you're a better man than me. Because <laughs> I, had to pop a few times. Mm. I know I'm, I'm looking forward to that, uh, but extremely nervous about it because, um, you know, this, you, you get a bit of a taste of that when you go to the banquets, uh, at the end of the year and you have to get up there and talk and we do the rehearsal yeah. before with the empty room. And then when you get up there to do it with everybody watching, it's a little bit nervous, but this will be one of the, you'll be, ex you know, accepting one of the, most prestigious uh, honors in the sport. Uh, so it'll be uh, – I, I can't even uh, – I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I can't either. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going I'm to – all the things that happen in between now and then, I'm going to soak it up. DJ, when did you start working on your speech? Uh, you know, I, I really started – so that, that announcement came in made, but I really started writing things down. I, I think I gave it like two months, and then I realized that, hey, that's – January seemed like a long time off. But and, and we had a lot of things going on. Uh, my son, Zach, was graduating from high school. And and of course, I had my daughters at college and stuff. So there were there was a lot going on at that time. Uh, but I said, 
you know, I better start making some notes here because you have things that go through your head, people that you want to mention, uh, you know, things that you would like to share with with others that you know maybe you haven't shared before uh, and, and do that. So I just started jotting down notes and that was in like September because I said, you know, before you know it, time gets away from you. And, and of course, obviously, Dale Jr., you're going to have a lot going on between now and then. Uh, uh, also, and so uh, I just said it's better for me to start making those notes, but actually putting it together. Uh, I, I'm going to say that it was the first part of January after the first of the year I, I started. And, and gosh, I don't know. I might have used a couple of legal pads before I actually got it down <laughs> on paper. Like I kind of wanted it. My goodness. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of what I do too. I, I will. Um... You know, I, I, I'm not afraid to admit that I think about that speech and and I think about it because I want to make sure I don't forget something. Yeah, it's a fear that you're going to leave something out, right? And so, um, anytime anything pops in my head, I'll jot it down in my notes in my phone to make sure that you know. And then you just got to you know you piece it all together at some point to create your speech. You talked to uh, you mentioned Ned. Uh, how's Ned yeah. doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, uh, my dad is 87, will be 88 in, in uh, October. Uh, his birthday is around the same time yours is, mm-hmm. uh, and my son, uh, Jason. And uh, But he's he's doing pretty well, obviously facing some challenges now uh, as he's gotten older and, and different things. But we've been so fortunate. He and my mom have been, you know, for, gosh, uh, you know, pretty much the, the majority over until the last three years or so. There have been nothing you know they were still driving and everything and they don't do that much anymore so they rely on my sister patty my brother glenn and myself a little bit more but you know we're so thankful that that we still have them around and and that they're doing well they live in their their own house you know it's 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 not like they've had to go to uh, an assisted living place or anything like that so uh, even though they both have you know some issues that you're going to have when you're 87 and my mom just turned 89 um uh but they're doing well but but you know dad was uh you know he was eager to to vote on the the hall of fame and stuff uh, because he really said that he missed that part of being in that room which i've never done before because this was my first year mm-hmm. and, and to do it you know like, kind of like we're doing here now uh it, it was a little bit different but but i look forward to when we can get back and and do that but you know he gets excited about that and he still watches the races uh he watches the shows that i'm on and still uh, critiques me and tells me what I'm <laughs> right or wrong. Oh man, <laughs> I love that. I do too. All right, DJ man, I appreciate your time today. Uh, great to hear that you're doing well uh, and you're feeling better, and great to hear everything's going well in your life and your family's life. So appreciate your time. I can't wait to see you. Looking forward to it, buddy. Hey, yes, y'all sir. have a great day. Thank, same to you. All right, all right. Fred Farmer has made it to the show the hall of famer fred it's dell jr mike davis man it's so good to see you well it only took me 73 years to get there <laughs> so let me ask you man um were you watching the shows on tv when you uh when you saw yourself nominated yes i was watching it and i kind of lost my breath there for a minute you know it uh it's like all the football players watching the draft to see if their name is called so I felt the same way. We were sitting around watching for it when they it came on. It was just well, you know, I've been on it for two years. This is my third year, so uh, you you never never know. So uh, it was it was quite a quite a shock, but a great shock anyway. 
Is it rank up there as the number one uh, proudest accomplishment in your racing career? Well, I would say so, yes. In other words, this is the icing on the cake. You know, this is my 73rd year racing, and I've been in NASCAR for 68 years. So I guess this is at my age, you know, you're not going to have many more. So this is me, I think, going to top them all. <laughs> Red, where were you when you were watching the broadcast last week, and who was with you? Well, my wife was with me, and uh, Maddox was with me, and Tracy and Chris, all of them down at their CRM car lot. I was watching down on the showroom floor. They oh. had a kick down there and had everything set up down there to the store just in case. Man, that's awesome. That's a party right there. Yeah. 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 What what has been the uh what's been the emotions or the thoughts about it over the last week? Okay, you've had you you you've been inducted or you you know you to be inducted, so you know you're in the Hall of Fame, going in the Hall of Fame. You had a week to think about it. What what's the uh what's the thoughts? I mean, do you 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 getting a lot of uh you know, text messages or, or, or communication with old friends and, uh, how's all that oh, made you feel? Oh yeah. It did. You know, a lot of the people kept calling me and calling me. And then of course the local TV stations all coming out. I had three different, uh, TV station trucks in my driveway at the same time yesterday, <laughs> but I was trying to get one of my dirt cars ready to run Talladega Saturday night. And, and, uh, I had some other work to do in the garage that, I told him, I said, look, I said, I don't need to spread out all day long. Uh, let's set everybody up at one time. So Tracy set them up for me where I had one at one o'clock, one at one thirty, one at two. Then I could go back out in the garage and go to work again. Yeah, you mentioned it, man, that you are still driving today. Um, tell people why that you why you still love to race. You know, it, it's hard to explain something like that unless you're doing it. In other words, you, but, you know, it's people like, they play golf. They love to play golf, and they're going to go out every Saturday and look to play golf with their buddies and stuff, and it just uh, it gets in your blood, and that's what you want to do. So uh, everybody's got different things at uh, fishing or hunting or something that they, they want to do every weekend if they get a chance to after they get off of work. And uh, I want to go racing. You know, I, Like I said, I've been racing since 1948. I started the same year NASCAR. Bill France started NASCAR in '48. Uh, I didn't join NASCAR to 53, but, uh, you know, it just gets in your blood and I still enjoy it. I still love it. I, I do 90% of the work on my cars myself. I've got three dirt cars out in my shop in the backyard and, uh, I enjoy going out there every morning and working on eight o'clock and I work till about five, come in and have supper. You know, I just enjoy working on them, getting them ready. And then I enjoy going out and competing on the weekend and, uh, uh, racing with the youngsters you know Who, what i mean who's going with you who's working on your car and going with you on the weekends well i've got a boy uh, named mike i got two mics that work with me and my son worked with me for quite a while and uh <clears throat> then i got david culver and 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 you know a different guy that come and help me every week uh david used to be my crew chief and he said i was having so much fun he started racing about a year and a half ago <laughs> so he's got his own car now but he still helped me when i need it so uh, I've got, uh, one thing I've got, I've ever, it's hard to explain, but in 73 years of racing, I'll probably say this when I come to the hall of fame deal, but in my 73 years of racing, I've never had a man on a payroll. Wow. Wow. Never. Everybody I've had, even through all my championships, where we traveled all over the country, it was all volunteer help. And I think the reason everybody said, well, why is that? I said, well, there's two reasons for it. When we was racing back in the days, we couldn't really afford to pay salaries. 
we had to, you know, I bought pit passes and paid for the motel room and the meals and stuff, but I couldn't have, didn't have the money to pay for salaries. But I found out one thing, when you've got a volunteer crew, you've got the best crew for this reason. If you're paying them, they've got to show up and you're not paying them. They want to show up. So it makes a difference. They, they come because they want to be there, not because they're being paid. Yeah. So that's, I've always had a great crew all my career. Where are you doing most of your racing these days? I run Talladega Short Track. I stay close to home. It's only about 60 miles down the road. The dirt track right across the street from the Super Speedway. And uh, we run there every Saturday night. And uh, last weekend we run Friday and Saturday night during Talladega weekend. Then we have an annual race in January called the Ice Bowl. Uh, it's similar to like the Snowball Derby in Pensacola on the asphalt. This is called the Ice Bowl. I think they've been running it 27 to 28 years. They've been running it every January. And we had uh, 320 cars in the pits for the Ice Bowl last year. Wow. wow. So you talked about racing in uh, motorsports. You've been in uh, for 73 years. So that I'm a historian. Love artifacts and old uniforms, trophies, or anything like that. What's... I mean, do you have a lot of that stuff from from even when, back when you started racing? Do you have any kind of uh, uh, old trophies or or old suits or anything in oh, storage? Yeah. yeah, I've got a trophy room with all my trophies back through there. And one thing that I, I've got is a jacket that hangs up in my trophy room. It says uh, 1956 National Modified Champion in NASCAR. And uh, I'm going to tell you this. Well, that, that particular year in 56 meant a lot to me. For when it was there, Buck Baker was the cup champion. I was the modified champion. And your grandpa, Ralph Earnhardt, was the sportsman champion. Mm, yep. That's neat. I got a picture of y'all three accepting y'all's trophies together. Yep. I still got that picture, too. And I got that jacket hanging up in my trophy room. And I've got all of them collected you know i've got several hundred of them in two different trophy rooms and i've got a lot of, a lot of old trophies from the years when we first started they don't get out many trophies anymore red this is mike so i i've got to you're here and i gotta ask you a question because i'm an alabama guy myself i'm from birmingham and we're we're, uh-huh. we're working on a show called Lost Speedways, and you're going to love it because a lot of these speedways that we highlight, you raced at, like Middle Georgia yeah. Raceway and, uh, you know, just a, a bunch of tracks. But I've got one I want to ask you about. Give me your favorite moments or something that uh, you remember from Birmingham International Raceway, which was my home track, which is where I went to my first race, and you were so prominent there. BIR, it's no longer there. But uh, but that's something. That's a place you guys used to just get after it. Yeah, that was BIR was a was a flat five eighths mile track. Actually, I ran that track when it was dirt before they tried to Tom Glore tried to pave it. Mm. It was dirt when I first came up from Florida, and I raced the last ten races on that track before they paved it, and I won eight of the last ones on the dirt track. And uh, then they paid Lord come in and put some kind of gravel stuff on it and call it asphalt. We tried to race on that for years and then they repaid it. <laughs> but that that track was a five a five eighth mile flat track. And if you could drive B I R and get around that track right, you could go anywhere in the country and race. Cause it was a real tricky track, flat, fast. And then back in those days, you know, we didn't have the technology you got now. And uh 
if you learn to drive that track, it was good. But we, you know, we ran Huntsville on Thursday night, Birmingham Friday night, Montgomery on Saturday night. Then we'd find somewhere to run sometime on Sunday. So we raced three nights a week, all during the sixties and seventies days, Bobby, Donnie, and myself. And, uh, there were some great drivers come out through Birmingham. We had, we had Freddie Fryer and Friday Hassler and a whole bunch of the guys that was great drivers that could be, be, make it tough to win down there. But uh, that was one of my favorite tracks. I love it. And the the other thing I wanted to ask you is that, uh, you know, the gentleman sitting here at the table with me, uh, you guys are going to be sort of like fraternity brothers because you're going into the Hall of Fame with the same class. And so you guys will forever be linked uh, with Mike Stefanik, and I wonder if both of you guys, I mean, what what does that mean to each of you? I mean, you're going in with Red Farmer, Dale, and that's such an honor, I would imagine. And, Red, you're going in with you and Dale Jr., and you're the one that's still racing. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean to both of you guys? Well, it means a lot to me to go in with Junior. You know, like I said, I've raced against it, uh, his grandpa, and I raced against his dad. And, in fact, uh, in 1990, I think it was, the way he, uh, Dale won the 500 at Talladega. He won the sportsman race on Saturday and he won the IROC race yeah. that weekend. He won all three races at the super speedway that weekend. And he come over and run a match race with me at the dirt track. And, uh, I won that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Dale said, I won everything at Talladega. And I went over there and the old, that old man outrun me. <laughs> Right, and I, so I've got the trophy from that from there, and uh, it, it, was, it was something special to be able to do that. But then I raced with uh, Ralph Earnhardt, and the last race in 1956 was a 200-lap race on the half-mile dirt in Concord. Mm. And we had it was the last race for the championship, and he was running in the sportsman division, and I was running in the modified. The only difference between the cars in those days but sportsman ran one carburetor. If you had two carburetors, you was modified. And uh, it was quite, I had two two guys that was battling me for the championship was there. And uh, back in those days, we ran the little quick change rear with six flying quick changes. And they tear up those ring gear and pinions. I probably tear up about six a year racing that thing. And I went to Concord and somewhere around 130 something lap. I tore the rear end up and I said, well, there goes the championship because the guy in second place is only quite a few points close. And five laps later, he broke. Mm. So I still won the championship. But <laughs> if he had finished the race, he'd have won the championship. So, uh, like I said, I've raced against all her three generations of the Earnhardt. So it's quite an honor to be going in with Junior. Yeah. I, um, I remember, uh, I remember that race at the short track that weekend uh back in the mid 80s uh when dad went over there to to match race you and i was there in the pits um i've seen some video of that here recently um being over there at the dirt track but uh so i remember that but um you know i remember going to talladega and seeing red farmer race in the uh art in the arca race and i learned who red farmer was by going to uh the hall of fame at Talladega as a kid I loved going over to the Hall of Fame and, and climbing all over that place and um you know and then to learn about his connection to the Alabama gang and 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 his history in racing and how long he'd been racing and to see him still racing today it's a real honor uh you've always been incredibly nice to me every time I've had the opportunity to spend a moment with you 
Um, you're one of the good guys. Uh, you treat everybody the same. Um, people are going to remember that about you more than anything, Red. And I'm so uh, so lucky to be uh, able to share this honor with you. And I look forward uh, to joining you in all of the media and things that we're going to do leading up to the ceremony. And then obviously sharing that night with you will be very special. Um, and I'm excited as well to learn more and more about this, the Fanic family and what Mike meant to motorsports and, and what his career was all about. Um, so it's going to be a great time and I can't wait. Uh, just means that I get to spend more time with you. You know, we, we, every time I'm around you, I've always, always enjoyed it. And, uh, this means I'll get to see you a little more often over the next several months. So I'm looking forward to it and congratulations, uh, to, to a well-deserved honor. And, um, I hope you know how much you mean to this sport and how much people appreciate and love you. Uh, and thank you, Red, for giving you giving us just a little bit of your time today uh, for this for this uh, podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being on with you, Junior. Yes, sir. I know you're ready to get back to work on the old car. So we'll let <laughs> you get ready for Saturday night. That's right. We'll let you we'll <laughs> we'll let you go, buddy, and have fun and good luck. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's talk Talladega. Did anything go on down there? We had a great race. Um, I have never. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I was sitting there, super freaking nervous. I don't. I have never been that nervous watching a race. Oh well, welcome to our life for the past twenty years of watching Talladega races. Yeah. I mean, you're driving it and just, okay. and we're sitting there freaking out. Well, it's nerve wracking. I, I usually don't get that nervous. You know, for I just don't have much reason to get real nervous watching a race. But man, I don't know why that was that was one of the most exciting Talladega races that I'd seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I don't know whether it was the weather or whatever, but those guys, you know, usually they kind of ride around and and uh, just try to save what they can and put themselves in reasonable, safe positions to to get to the end. And uh, but they raced hard the whole race. A lot of aggressive pushing. Lots of aggressive pushing even coming to the stage ends and so forth. But, you know, I th- I th- it's a memorable day for me in the sport. We got to see an uh, incredible race. I don't know why that race felt different, felt better, felt more exciting. Man, typically we go into Talladega and you just kind of don't know what you're going to get. We didn't even have any big spectacular crashes. Which is amazing because they, they it looked like that could have happened any lap. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about the saves. <laughs> I mean, did you see Blaney save? I mean, my God, that yeah. guy was sideways. Multiple times in well, the race. Yeah, I mean, just amazing driving on display. NAS, and, and I'm going to transition just slightly. NASCAR has, you know, eliminated practice, qualifying, and all those things. I'm waiting on that to be a problem, but it hasn't been, <laughs> right? I'm waiting on that to, I'm, you know, we, it's been a good thing. Yeah. We've seen some great races and some un- the unknown going into the event raises sort of the anxiety and the, and the apprehension, and, and, and it really adds some energy, intrigue into the race for me, all right? I'm speaking for myself. So that's a great thing, all right? I'm waiting week after week on this no practice, no qualifying, no time on the track to, to show me something wrong with it, right? Show, get, be a problem, and it hasn't. And... Man, I know that NASCAR is taking note. I know the drivers are. I know the drivers probably are just fine with it. They might, you know, every once in a while 
hit the track at a race and be really far off. Maybe the splitter's on the ground. Maybe they just, you know, got us a part that's, that's loose that they, they need to fix. And so, okay, if you want 10 laps, 30 minutes or something on race day morning to go out there and warm up, I'd give you that. But I'm hoping that NASCAR really understands that they've, they've kind of accidentally stumbled onto something positive, a real positive, uh, for the sport going forward, and that's to, to, to limit that, that practice time before the race. It's one of the things that we can all agree on. We said it last week that COVID has given us yeah. uh, unexpectedly. One was an all-star race at Bristol. Another one is, you know, this fantastic racing that we're seeing that didn't need practice yeah. or qualifying even. Yeah. Anyhow, man, let's get to this ass junior. Let's see? do it. Let me see. You guys, you be ready? Let's go live. We are live. Yeah, there we are. We're live. Hey. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. Uh, with the Dale Jr. Download. This is the Ask Jr. portion of the show. It's brought to you by Xfinity. They're the premier partner of NASCAR, and they are a great partner of this podcast. They're your partner for fast internet. And, um, yeah, so we got some uh, great questions, I'm assuming. Thanks for tuning in. Leah is going to handle the questions, so let's get going, Leah. All right, first question. During the Xfinity race, the announcers kept talking about spotters that have driving experience being a big asset. Considering your success at plate tracks, how do you think you would do as a spotter for one of your drivers? <laughs> that question coming from Sam. All right, so um, I had some experience spotting before. Uh, I went to Tri-County Motor Speedway, it's a little short track up the road past Hickory, North Carolina, and was spotting for a friend of mine, Brad Means, who was racing a limited late model stock car. And so... Uh, you know, those limited late model teams or any late model team, they're on a tight budget. They got enough money to race, and, and, and they don't budget for a bunch of wrecking. So uh, Brad started on the pole, I believe, leading the race. And coming down the front straightaway, he's clear by half a car length. And I'm telling him, hey, you're clear. And as soon as I said the word, you're clear, the guy in second place dives down into the bottom of the corner into turn one and and. Hits him in the left rear quarter panel and spun him around and a couple cars pile in and tear the whole front of the car up. And so I felt I felt entirely, 100% responsible for what happened to Brad in that moment. All right, so I learned early not that, that maybe spotting wasn't what I wanted to do. <laughs> clear don't mean clear. <laughs> you know, so think about that, all right? Think about that. Say you're working for a single car, not even, you know, even if you worked for uh, Hendrick Motorsports, there's probably 100 to 150 employees that are, that have their hands on that car. You are at the racetrack on top of the grandstands, clearing and spotting for a driver. There's uh, the driver in the car, the crew chief, all the mechanics, engineers, all the over the wall guys. There's probably 40 people at the racetrack that are directly involved in what happens to that race car um think about that as a spotter the responsibility that you have on your shoulders um it's not an easy job it takes a very tough individual to be able to manage that and to be able to make those calls and know uh to tell the driver hey I, I really can't help you in this situation. TJ would do that. We'd start the race, and he'd say, hey, okay, I got a bad vantage point off of turn four. When I look at 
turn four, you're, you're coming at me. So I can't really see whether you're exactly clear or not. And I'm not going to be able to, to do what you need me to do in that part of the racetrack. And there were other times when we'd be coming off the corner. I'm in the gas. I'm underneath the guy. He's on my right rear quarter panel, and I'm in the gas, and and I I can't I can't commit fully to the gas because I need to open the wheel up and use the rest of the racetrack and come out to the wall. Well, that guy's there, and and if TJ would clear me, I can go. I can mash the gas wide open and get down the straightaway. But he won't. He's not telling me I'm clear, and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, man, I really think I am clear, but I ain't heard from TJ yet. So, you know, I'd say to TJ, maybe the caution comes out a few laps later, I go, TJ, why don't you clear me off turn two? I need to open the gas. I need to mash the gas, be able to get full throttle and open the wheel up and get out to the fence. And if you're, you know, if you're not clearing me, I got to sit on the bottom of the racetrack half throttle. And he's like, because I don't know if you are clear. And I'm like, well, I felt like I was clear. And he's like, I'm not willing to take that risk. So... It's a tough job. It's not an easy job to do. It's it's um it's not you're not just up there trying to call Rex or you know telling telling your driver what kind of lap time he's running or or where the faster cars are running on the racetrack. That's that's easy. Spotting gets real hard when it comes to trying to, you know, help your driver race around other cars and there's a there's a big responsibility uh, particularly at the plate tracks. You know, at the plate racetracks is where really most of the spotters, the good spotters shine, and that's where they make their money, I, I like to say. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's uh, – when they have driving experience, like the like the uh, broadcast was talking about, that really helps because even if it doesn't – even if you don't have dialogue about it, you just know that um, – this, this is good, too, when the crew chief or anybody on your team has driving experience – so when you're talking about the car or, or going through something difficult on the racetrack, you feel like that they sympathize with your situation. Whether you talk about it or whether they really do, it doesn't matter. It's just kind of comforting as a driver to know, man, that guy knows what I'm going through and, and why I'm frustrated or, or why I couldn't get that to happen or why we succeeded or didn't succeed. Um, yeah, it really helps when those, dry, when those, those crew chiefs or spotters have, have actually been behind the wheel themselves. One more question about Talladega before we move on. Um, this one coming from Samuel Olish. When drafting, um, those flaps on the back of the hood start popping up and down. Is it startling or can you ignore it? Hmm. Well, um, I think the the roof flap or the hood flaps are real startling. Um, when the hood flaps are flying up, that's obviously right in front of you, and you get nervous that one's going to rip off. Now you've seen them come off. We've seen them get ripped off in just a regular draft. So I get nervous about that, even when it's not my car, um, because I know that that's going to have to get replaced and uh, you know, all that. So that's just a pain in the butt and kind of a roadblock to a hurdle to get to, to what you're trying to do, and that's when the race. The roof flaps now, if you're behind the car and that roof flap's kind of popping up, you kind of get curious as to how it might be helping that car. And if he's... If, if somehow they understand how to use the pressure inside the car versus outside the car to make that roof flap come up, because if that roof flap goes up, it's blocking or knocking air over the spoiler, which is going to make that car faster. And this is a, this is a sort of a, a method that has been used for many years. Once we understood that there was a way for us to change the pressure 
inside that roof flap compartment to where it would lift up uh, around the racetrack at Daytona and Talladega. We wanted that to happen. We wanted to find out how to make that happen more, how to get that to, to get higher. And so when we go out on the racetrack uh, in practice, I would talk to my crew chief and say, the car in front of me, his is an inch high. It looks like the Gibbs cars or got theirs higher. Um, the Penske guys, theirs is uh, you know, not as high. You know, you try to tell your, your, your crew chief everything you could about what you were seeing on the racetrack from the other cars. Not that he could look at their cars and understand how they were creating that, you know, that, that issue, but maybe to motivate to, to, to get yours to get higher. Because as, as that roof flap comes up, the air goes over it and less air goes onto the spoiler, creating less drag. And so, you know, you're trying to, you're, you're always watching that. Even in the race, you know, if you see something unique, like a roof flap that's extremely high or much different than everybody else's, or, you know, they've somehow got the deck lid to sink down into the, into, into the trunk of the car to lower the rear spoil, you point that out to your crew chief. And, you know, hey, keep an eye on, look at this guy. Next time you see his car, watch him go through inspection at Daytona or Talladega, you know, take a look around at this area because it seems like they've got that thing, you know, manipulated. And uh, you want to figure out how to do it yourself. You don't, you know, you, the, the one thing you don't do is go to NASCAR and say what you see. You want to tell your crew chief uh, so he can find out a way to, to in, you know, innovate and create that same advantage. So you wouldn't do it on the radio then. You would wait till after the race. Or no, I'll do it on the radio. Well then you don't but you don't want NASCAR to know. I don't care if they know, but I'm not gonna go into the holler and, and have them and, and uh, tell. Interesting. Yeah. We have a new fan on YouTube, watching on YouTube, Grant awesome. Hartz. He wants to know where is the best place to find technical content on NASCAR. As a new fan, I'm fascinated by the aero packages impact on close racing and other pieces, but struggling to find more answers. That's mm. a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't seek that. I don't seek that stuff out. Matthew, you got any idea? I mean, back when we were kids, uh, that that was the difference between subscribing to Stock Car and Circle Track. Yeah, you yeah. would go subscribe to Circle Track. Uh, that's a good question, and maybe something that I need to dig in on because Take I wouldn't know where you would go to get that technical. Yeah, feedback. Yeah, nothing you know, jumps out. It's anymore. a great question. It does, yeah. yeah, it does. There's not. We need a. We need. I'm sure somebody knows. Somebody's probably telling you right now on YouTube where that is. <laughs> Um, you know, we typically, I appreciate that question. I think that some, some information may be, um, available on, on JSKI. It's possible that they link you to articles that discuss some of the rule changes and so forth to help you better understand what they're trying to accomplish with those rule changes. Um, but there's no real, um, catalog of, of information. Is there a technical savvy Twitter follow? Right. Yeah, uh, we have a couple people chiming in. Uh, Higgy says NASCAR Nation Twitter handle. Uh-huh. Um, you know, got another guy that has shared a, you know some more technical racing information is Brian Keselowski. Oh, um, Brad's brother. From time to time, we'll discuss yeah. some of the things that he's seen on the racetrack and give you a a uh, and sort of a, a crew chief or engineer viewpoint of what's going on and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I guess we need something like that. But, you know, we typically, Mike especially, um, I feel like I can speak for you on this. We've, we've sort of shied away from the, the nuts and bolts uh, because of the big debate on, on, on rule changes and rule packages. And, 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 you know, we've sort of 
try to block all of that out to just enjoy the the basic goodness of a race mm. no matter what the cars look like or what the rules are just enjoy the cars racing uh because the bat you know the debate about the rules has been pretty heated over the last seems like five ten years um so we've sort of intentionally blocked out a lot of that you know technical chitter chatter uh because i don't know get in the weeds sometimes well, it's just usually we try to follow what our audience wants. And yeah. so, you know, the, you know, the term people use is inside baseball. Do you want to be inside baseball or do you want to be able to speak uh, the language? And so, but that this brings up a really good point yeah. is that if Tech we're side. not that, who is? Like, uh, that it does need to exist. Sure. And maybe we dedicate a show one time just to talk about, you know, the technical aspects of cars. I got questions myself. Dell and I were talking uh, over the weekend about, you know, uh, about sim racing and all this stuff and the prospects of me getting into <laughs> iRacing and that kind of thing. Oh, shut up. Oh, hold up, hold up. We don't want to get sidetracked here. But the, the the thing that would make me do it is to understand cars better. It's the same reason I used to build models, yep, okay. car model, race car models. I used to build them. Uh, you know, just buy the, uh, what is it, the, the monogram, Ravel monogram yeah, yeah. Uh, models. And it's just so I could see what these things look like, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, Oh, yeah, we're lacking. We're lacking that now. And maybe there's a follow we just don't know about that's, you know, just dedicated to rules and technical things and almost racing 101. There's, it's going to be necessary now if we get new fans. Yeah, I think the one thing, uh, you know, if fans would enjoy this, this is stuff I'd love to do. We, we, uh, I saw a graphic on during the Fox broadcast about side drafting, and we use it as well in the NBC booth. And the idea... Uh, used in the broadcast to to promote or to the, the information given to the fans or shown to the fans is that as a car uh, side drafts another car, it dumps a bunch of air on the spoiler of the of the lead car and he slows down, and that's why side drafting works. Is basically you're, when you're side drafting somebody, you're slowing that car down, not speeding yourself up. I'm not sure I buy into that. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure I, I buy into that entirely. Now, there may be some truth to the fact that it does put some air on the spoiler of the lead card, and it does slow him down. I know that car slows down. I've done it enough to know that I slowed him down, created a gap in between him and the car in front of me. But I believe it does speed my car up. I believe it does make my car faster And when I side draft somebody. Why does that happen? So I'd love to debate across the table with, a, with somebody – or agree, whatever. I'd love to have a conversation about that, side drafting, how it works, what it's really doing. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if our listeners would really enjoy that kind of we, stuff. We really ought to dedicate a show to do that, we though. Should. And whether it be – got to get a crew chief and an engineer. I was going to say a crew chief, yeah. And yeah. an engineer. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. There, appreciate there that question, man. You've, you've, uh, Give you've, us ideas. You've given some great ideas for the shows coming up. All right, guys, that's enough for Ask Junior. Appreciate you guys tuning in to our YouTube channel and listening and, and watching along. Hey, Mike, we all know that you have to be fast in our sport, and Xfinity knows a thing or two about that. Xfinity, get blazing Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity x delivers the speed, coverage, security, and control you need to stay connected to NASCAR and stay connected to Dirty Mo Media all season long. Mike, this is beyond Wi-Fi. This is X5. 
Keep your questions rolling in to at Xfinity Racing and at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter using the hashtag AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself. We are so proud to partner with Xfinity, keeping us connected to the sport all season long. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR. What's up, everybody? Listening to the second best podcast on the Dirty Mode platform. Dale Jr. Download, Freddie Kraft here, spotter for Bubba Wallace. Brett, TJ, and I have a lot to talk about this week on our podcast, Door Bumper Clear, which is the best. Yo, what's up? Brett Griffin, spotter for Clint Boyer. We'll cover Bubba Wallace's emotional day at Talladega, Ryan Blaney's move to win the race, and the new car number placement for the all-star race. Hey, TJ Majors here. Make sure you listen to Door Bumper Clear this week and every week on all major podcasting platforms. Last call! All right, guys, we're less than a month away from the Peacock launching of our TV show Lost Speedways, July the 15th. Lost Speedways is coming out, a show that we all have been working really hard on. I can't wait for people to see this and react, tell us what they think. One of the proudest things that I think Dirty Mode Media has ever done. I agree. All right, guys. So uh, July 15th, please, please mark your calendars and go to Peacock, the streaming network for NBC, and watch Lost Speedways. Please let us know what you think. We can't wait. Great show. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. We're out. This bit of badassery was badassery. It was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.